Hi, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Sarah Soudin, who is an advanced academic clinical fellow and honorary consultant in public health at Newcastle University. We're going to discuss the paper her and her team have published in the BJGP titled Which Non-Pharmaceutical Primary Care Interventions Improve Mental Health Amongst Socioeconomically Disadvantaged Populations? So thanks, Sarah, for joining us today. I guess what I really wanted to start the discussion about was just about this area of people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged and have a mental health disorder. And you highlight in the introduction of the paper that sometimes this population can be over-medicated and sometimes it's a social issue, not something that needs medication. And I just wanted to know a bit more about the drive behind this research and what led you and the research team to do this this project. Yes, thanks, Nada. So as, as we know, very unfortunately, as a sudden indictment of our society, our health and well-being is not evenly distributed across society. Certain groups are socially um, marginalised and experience worse health and die younger. So um, common mental disorders such as uh, depression and anxiety are more common, more prevalent in um, certain groups, including those that are socioeconomically marginalised. And we know coming out of the pandemic and indeed the current focus on the cost of living crisis, just how important it is to consider the health and well-being of, uh, of all our population, and in particular those that are struggling with regards to, to, to income and housing and so on and so forth. And it's really something that general practices are at the uh, sharp end of, they see a lot of. And there's really a concern in certain areas that a lot of the things that people come into general practice about, it's it's somewhere to go, it's someone to talk to, but a lot of the conditions and the problems that people come and present with through, for example, common mental disorders is, is you know, the experience of poverty and, and how, how damaging that is for communities and people. And so there, there is a concern that one of our common things that we go to is 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 the pharmaceutical interventions. And actually, are we over-medicalising sometimes? Are we perhaps going to, to, to those sorts of things? And the, the really the driver for this research came from talking within our local communities in the northeast of England around what people felt were, were some of the, the pressing issues. And this was something that we heard through our general practices who were serving some of our most disadvantaged communities that really there was an anxiety that this was um, people experiencing um, poverty and we were almost medicalising distress. So this is why it's really important to look at the ways that we are addressing um, common mental disorders within primary care. So what did you define as common mental disorders? So we looked at here um, particularly depressive and um, anxiety disorders in primary care. We obviously were looking at the developments that have happened recently. So um, obviously there has been real expansion in what we'd call additional roles within general practice, looking at that diversification of the workforce, alternative roles. So we had the area service coming in to effect in uh, 2008 
And increasingly since then, we've seen different forms and models of care and different um, service um, provision within primary care. For example, clinical psychology services, mental health workers, and in particular, social prescribing and link working, where these practitioners obviously are able to um, look at sources of community source, support for, for individuals and look at welfare and housing and benefits and all of these other things. So we've got a real complement now of different uh, roles within primary care. So given that this has really been an area of policy expansion for us and workforce expansion, it's really important to consider whether these interventions are working and particularly who they are working with and for. So um, often research will just look at did it did it work generally but actually it's really important to think given this lens of um health inequalities that we know about and we know about social distress and, and medicalization of that that we need to check really whether these things are working and for who yeah so it makes sense doesn't it that if the source of these common mental health disorders are rooted in the socioeconomic difficulties that people might be experiencing that thinking about these alternative or additional ways to support people might be the appropriate way forward. And I think that's kind of the aim of this, to look, to do the systematic review of studies looking at non-drug interventions in primary care. So you conducted a standard systematic review um, methodology, and I won't go too much into the methods of what you did, but <laughs> I wonder if you could just highlight a little bit more about what you found. Um, you found 13 studies which you synthesised in this review. Yeah, so we uh, found uh, we included 13 studies in the review. So 10 of those were um, social prescribing interventions. Um, two studies were looking at models of collaborative care and one was a new model of care study. So what we did find was generally positive results and that was based on a direction of effect rather than a meta-analysis. Um, and that was particularly in regard to the outcome of well-being. Um, so there, there seemed to be broadly consistent positive effects for that. In terms of anxiety and depression, there was inconsistent but mainly positive results reported for those two. Um, there was one study that looked, instead of looking at interventions that were targeted exclusively at the socioeconomically marginalised community, instead it was a universal intervention um, delivered to everyone. And then the authors looked at whether there was a differential impact across socioeconomic groups. And um, that did find that people from the least compared to the most deprived groups benefited most from the intervention. I think the majority of the studies you found, the quality was actually quite weak, wasn't it? Yes, we did. So, so um, there was certain limitations to the evidence. So that the the main one being that of of all the studies that we included that were targeted at socioeconomically um, disadvantaged groups, there was a range of studies. There was a couple of randomised control trials, but quite a lot of before and after or cohort studies. And we did find that generally the um, the study quality was weak. Often there wasn't a control group, for example. So that does indicate that potentially. Um, you know, we need to be a little bit cautious about interpreting these results. Mm. And just to date, there has been quite a mixed evidence base around social prescribing. And sometimes it's due to the diversity of the interventions and some of the studies can be hard to assess in terms of their outcomes. So I think that's reflected in this review as well. 
Yes, yeah, so we weren't able to do a meta-analysis just to the heterogeneity of the populations, the outcome measures that we used, and indeed the way that um, socioeconomic disadvantage was measured. So there was a real diversity in terms of, of the research. Um, so really one of the key findings actually is the more robust research is needed into this area to be able to, to draw more firm conclusions in the future. That said, the, the overall um, leaning on it was a, 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 um, a positive a positive finding. You touch in the discussion about <clears throat> access, and I just wanted to ask you about your thoughts about access to these services and how less advantaged groups might access these non-drug interventions or social prescribing. Do you think that there's any inequality there in terms of how people might be able to get into these sorts of support programs? So, so what we know is that um, there are um, socioeconomic inequalities in many examples of access, experience and outcome from care. And generally, um, this can be found more so in um, preemptive and preventative services. So there can be issues um, including, you know, literally uh, practical issues such as timing of work. If you're working a zero hours contract, you don't have the time to perhaps go into the surgery at a certain lot of time. Um, you know, you may have um, income constraints, caring constraints, so on and so forth. So there, I think there's practical barriers around the availability of these types of interventions. Who, you know, when 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 are there slots available, for example, to see a, a social prescriber? Is that um, every day of the week or do they only come in certain days? So, so there's things like that. There's also, I think, those those wide things around what's most pressing in the here and now for, for individuals, and people will tend to present with very acute problems and and in need of immediate care. Perhaps that more preventative or, or earlier steps, people won't necessarily be coming into the general practice until they're really in crisis. So there are real challenges to um, engaging and ensuring access, and indeed. We know um, through the um, literature on intervention-generated inequalities that often um, interventions such as um, a, a this that require a high degree of self-agency and a, ability to find time, et cetera, et cetera, to come in, do tend to uh, widen inequalities. So, so it is a constant thing around being really carefully thinking through the way that um, services are offered, the timing, the approach, and how useful they are to people. We discussed about how the measure of effect showed that in general, well-being was um, increased amongst this population and there was an association with lower anxiety and depression. Are there any other key findings that you want to highlight from the papers at all? So I think a key finding is around the strength of the evidence base in this area. Tackling and addressing health inequalities is really important. We only found one study that had looked at the differential effectiveness of this intervention um, across socioeconomic groups. So I think it's really important to consider the types of research that we're conducting and whether we can answer these important questions, given that we know the prevalence of conditions such as common mental disorders are, are, are far greater in um, socially marginalised communities. We were also unable for our study to look at um, other dimensions of socialised uh, marginalisation and exclusion. Um, and so that's really a further area for research as well, looking at different and overlapping uh, lenses on, on this, this issue. So it would have been nice to have been able to look uh, across the Progress Plus criteria at different dimensions of, of disadvantage as well, because we know sometimes that they can overlap and compound upon each other. So, so that would be a really key area to look at further, I think. And is your research group taking this further or what are the plans to continue work in this area? 
Yes. Yeah, so in the northeast of England, we suffer some of the, the highest inequalities and the worst health outcomes from across the UK and, and indeed in, in comparison to, to other similar countries. And um, one of the things that we are doing testing locally is different models of providing care in general practices called deep end general practices, which are serving the most socioeconomically marginalised communities. So at the moment, we're piloting clinical psychology intervention and an intervention around mental health workers and looking at different models of delivering care with different combinations of workforce, different ways that they're working to see in terms of how they're implemented, whether they work and who they're working best for. So we're looking actively into this area because all of the work we've been doing in the deep end has been very much led by uh, what the, the primary care staff and patients are telling us and mental health is an absolute front and centre of everything that's going on and it's such a crucial issue and given the cost of living crisis that we're, we're all living through currently it's only becoming more pressing as are the workforce pressures for GPs and uh, primary care um, professionals more generally. And you've touched upon some of the implications for research in terms of uh, more robust research is needed. And you've talked a bit about the implications for service organisation and how appointment times, for instance, might need to be varied in order to allow people <clears throat> to attend at different times. Are there any other implications for practice that you wanted to highlight? Or what do you think the findings mean for people working in general practice? So for people working in general practice, I think it's really important that this study has shown that non-pharmaceutical interventions are a really fruitful and promising area to look at, particularly when we're looking at um, addressing health inequalities and reaching marginalised communities. So I think there's a lot of potential there in, in looking at these models of care and considering within um people's general practices how how they're implementing these things and really having that mindset of thinking which groups of populations are accessing these and can we work to ensure that barriers are, um, are taken down so that we are able to ensure that everyone is getting access good quality access experience and outcomes from these services so perhaps more targeting and um reviewing what's on offer in order to fit the needs of the population a bit better? Yes, definitely. I think addressing health inequalities requires targeted interventions at those who are most excluded, but also though looking at general universal provision of things. So it uh, applies to all, all different areas, not only in common mental health disorders, around when we've got a universal offer, are we tailoring that effectively in our delivery? Okay, and I think that's a really important message to take home from this alongside the need for more robust research is how can we uh, deliver these interventions effectively in practice. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening to this podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. It's great to have a focus here on mental health and socioeconomic pressures, especially given the current economic climate. So I've really appreciated hearing more about this research. If you're interested in hearing more about current research in UK primary care, please do join us at the BJGP Research Conference, which is being held on the 31st of March in London. The conference website is up and running at bjgp.org forward slash conference. We're looking forward to meeting some of you there and catching up during the networking sessions at the event. Thanks again and bye.